Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, has the pandemic had an effect on housing prices? In the last few weeks, the Journal's Orla Ryan has been speaking to people who are trying to buy a home for the first time, and it's not been pretty reading. People being priced out of the areas they currently live, fears that prices are being artificially inflated because sales have to be agreed before properties can even be viewed, and in one case, a house sold at €120,000 above asking price. These are individual stories, but do they point to even more dysfunction in a dysfunctional housing market? Are the issues all pandemic related or do they go back to the by now age-old problem of lack of supply, exasperated by construction lockdown? To talk through some of the issues that Ireland is experiencing and to sift through the problems, I'm joined today on The Explainer by Ronan Lyons, Associate Professor of Economics at Trinity College Dublin. Ronan, thanks so much for joining me. Could you describe the housing market in Ireland right now? I think it's hard to understand the market right now without understanding how the market got to where it is. So we need a little bit of context. And if you think about most people's version of Ireland's housing market is defined by the the bubbling crash that happened in the mid 2000s and into the early 2010s. But really, that's something of a distraction uh, amidst a bigger issue that has arisen over the last 30 or so years, which is in the face of very strong demand as Ireland finally found a business model. You know, Ireland Inc. is able to act as a launching pad for North American firms into the single European market. That's kind of what we do to earn our, earn our crust. That's good. There's lots of jobs and income being created as a result of that. But what it means is that you need to scale up everything else, um, what you might think of as the supply side, in response. So things like housing can be a critical barrier to, to growth. And really what we have now, and, and you know, perhaps we would have happily traded um, where we were for where we are now, uh, is we have problems of growth. So what we're seeing and what we have seen over the last 10 years, and COVID kind of accentuated it in some ways, it, it, it has changed the dynamic a little bit, but, but it really just underscores that we are living in a country that is growing, growing at a, at a pace it's not used to growing at, and that brings about the need for housing and other infrastructure. Um, and we have been very bad at being able to add the housing that we need. Um, uh, and we're seeing the fruits of that now as we enter the 2020s. When you're saying growing, do you mean growing in population size, like literal numbers of people or growing in terms of like economy as well? It, it, it's a bit of everything. So you could take the same number of people and the same number of households and you give them more money and they will demand more of most things. And they will look to have more of most things, including housing. So they might move to bigger homes and they might uh, invest in their homes. So that creates a certain element of housing uh, need or housing demand. But really, when we think of, of housing need, we think more about the number of households. And there's actually a key difference between the number of households and the number of people because... Ireland, like most high-income countries, indeed most countries, is on this journey from households of four or more people on average to households of something like two people. And that, that might seem like, a, oh, that's pretty specific, Ronan, why are you focusing in on that? But take the numbers for Ireland. Suppose we have a population around of four million people and uh, they live in households of four. The country needs one million homes. Now, suppose population doesn't change at all, but we move to households of two persons. We need two million homes, right? You've got four million divided um, into two-person households. You need two million dwellings. And of course, they're not the same dwellings. It's not the one million family homes you needed. It's, it's two million, what you might think of as more like apartments. 
And layering on top of that again, if you're moving from rural to urban areas, it's really the case that you can't just take your original one million homes and hope they work out. It's you've, you've got to think about the provision of new types of homes in new locations. And that kind of decades-long journey, Ireland is in the middle of now. And things have really started going wrong in the last 10 years or so with back to housing supply. So going back to your question, we can think about housing demand as coming from incomes or coming from population increase. And those are important, but just as important is the, the size and the, the location of our households. We're in smaller households and we're more urban. And that is probably the pinch point in terms of housing need at the moment. And that's what's, of course, influencing house prices as well as supply. Yeah. And, and when you say house prices, I, I um, uh, one thing I, I, I'm not pulling people up on, but I do try and say, think of it as housing prices, because we tend to we tend to focus on house prices. But in fact, as we're becoming smaller households, we need a much greater variety of homes. Um, or a variety of housing. So I'll, I'll try and, and you, and you can pull me up if I say house prices, I try and use the phrase housing prices. It's a little bit clunkier, but it does raise an important point. And that includes both sale and rental. It's not just about sale prices. Um, rental prices and sale prices of housing in Ireland, and um, especially in the cities, have reflected those shortages over the last 10 years and need over the last 30 years. So what then when a pandemic comes along? We know we have all of these issues, all of these problems. Um, especially on the supply side, is it inevitable that a pandemic like this one is going to have an impact on housing prices and housing supply? Well, I, I mean, it's interesting because if we had this conversation a year ago, I would have been making predictions about housing prices falling. And the reason I would have done so is goes back to your last question. When we think about housing need or housing demand, um, we, we often think of how much income does a, a, a household have to meet its basic requirements. And if you're losing, if people are losing their jobs, if unemployment is going up, um, then you would expect there to be fewer resources available to, to go into things like housing. And therefore, uh, you'd see rents falling and you'd see sale prices for housing falling. Um, of course, what we've seen for the most part, and there's an important caveat, but for the most part over the last 12 months is that um, housing prices have either um, held their own or indeed increased. And in particularly on the sale side, we've seen the sale price of housing increase over the last um, 12 months. And in some places, it's up by 10 or 15 percent year on year. The the real, the, the important caveat in all of that is rental prices in particular in Dublin and to a lesser extent in Galway, um, where, where rental prices have actually fallen over the last year. Not a lot, not as much as somebody like me would have predicted perhaps uh, a year ago. It's one reason you don't make predictions, they're very tricky. But what we what is surprising is just how COVID has affected supply and demand in a way very different to other recessions. You, if you go back to 2007, 8, or indeed go back to 2001 when there was a brief recession, or before that, you typically think of economic disruption bringing down prices, but that hasn't been the case. Is there any examples of areas that have seen kind of microcosms to explain what's happening because of the pandemic? I think if you look at, I mean, one thing people might think has happened is, well, COVID has enabled people to work at home. Um, working at home means being close to the to, to, to the job is, is, is less important. So uh, places like Dublin might, might lose out. There's some evidence of that in that increases in, in sale prices in Dublin are less than increases in some of the areas around Dublin. But even just listen to how I said that, it, 
prices in Dublin have still gone up over the over the last year. And and it's really more of like a, a almost like a brute force. If if the government stops you from spending money on things like your your holidays abroad or eating out or all sorts of potential ways where you might spend your income, but you still have your income. And of course, there is an important segment of, of society that has lost their, their job, lost their business. And this is not to diminish that at all. And we will see the effects for those people in a different way. But for those who've kept their jobs and kept their incomes, but had fewer outlets to spend their money on, housing is one of the places that their, their money can still go out on. So you have people who have unexpected savings last year and um, buying a home this year with a bigger deposit than they might have expected. Uh, that's one way in which COVID has um, unexpectedly pushed up um, sale prices um, over the last year. And kind of looking ahead a little bit, and as I say, you know, don't don't make predictions because <laughs> predictions about our, what's it uh, Yogi Berra said? Predictions are really tough, especially about the future. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but if, if if we look ahead, John Fitzgerald, who's um, uh, an economist at Trinity, was at the SRI before, and um, he's been doing some interesting work on this. What is the best comparator we have for the kind of closed down in the economy that we're seeing currently. And the best example he could come up with was neutral countries in World War II, um, including Ireland, where um, they weren't at war, so it wasn't like you're on a war footing and then you return to a, a non-war footing in, in your economy. It was more like you didn't have the ability to spend as you did pre-war. Um, so during the war, you're kind of on hold. And then what happened after World War II in these neutral countries like Ireland? And actually, in Ireland's case, there was a three to four year boom that that all this, this extra savings, people wanted to spend it on things like housing. Um, so his best guess is that if, if this is anything like the end of World War II, when there was the end of rationing, then we could see not only was there kind of a lack of house price falls, uh, I said there, there housing price falls um, during uh, during COVID, that, that this this may continue into the kind of the post-COVID or return to normality um, period as well. That people have this pent up resources from all the money they couldn't spend between, say, February 2020 and whenever it is August um, 2021. Uh, and some of that's definitely going to go into housing. It's easier to justify and spending your pent up savings on a home than it is to, you know, on a, an absolute splurge of a holiday, um, even if you might have spent the money on holidays if COVID hadn't happened. That's really interesting. And Orla Ryan from the journal has been doing some work talking to people who are trying to buy their first home in the last 12 months or so. And she's hearing anecdotally from people that they believe people not being allowed view houses unless they go to sale agreed is also pushing up the prices of those properties. Is there any academic research into it or any proof that that's happening outside of just the anecdotal? I think if, when you look at the sales side of the market, there's, there's two there's two elements of, of supply that have been affected over the last year. One is perhaps slightly more obvious in that, you know, if you can't build homes, if as was the case in April, May, June uh, um, last year, and again in the first few months of this year, if construction has stopped, that's clearly going to affect the number of homes that are on the market for active buyers right now. But perhaps more pernicious has been the potentially, um, if you think about the way markets work, housing markets work, there are a lot of expectations in there. People will make decisions now based on what they think is going to happen over the next three, six, nine months, as well as three, six, nine years. And what's happening at the moment and i'm sure the, the the anecdotes will back this up is that the secondhand supply has really fallen off a cliff that the number of secondhand homes coming onto the market is down about 40 percent across the country and 
at one level, this is completely unsurprising. If you've got a level five lockdown, um, who's going to put their, their home up for sale? At another level, okay, well, actually, if prices are up, you know, lockdown or no, if prices are up, maybe you would put your, your home up for sale. But this is where the expectations bit becomes important again. If you think that prices have gone up and will continue to go up as long as there's not a lot of supply out there, then why would you list now and, and, and instead of waiting another six or nine months when, when prices might have gone up further? So there's, there's a sort of a, a, a frenzy in the same direction on the supply and the demand side, as in the, the, the sellers are not sure what's happening and, and, and holding off and the buyers see that happening and say, well, I better move now then because things might be worse in six or nine months time. And both of those, you know, they, they make demand stronger and supply weaker right now and they make things worse. And it, in some ways it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And for that reason, we're lucky to have the central bank rules. Unpopular as they undoubtedly are among first time buyers. And they are, if you think of without getting too metaphorical, think of housing prices as a bit like a kite, right? And you're holding, you're the real economy and, and the housing prices are blowing around with your kite as you know, people get more or less confident. And if the winds go a certain way and people are less confident, house prices go one direction. And if people are more confident, another direction. Well, the central bank rules are keeping the length of the string on the kite fixed. Because what happened in the 90s and 2000s was people didn't know what to do with that string. And they're like, actually, we give it a bit more string and a bit more string and a bit more string. And eventually, all the wind just died down and house prices collapsed. I hope I haven't stretched that metaphor too much. Um, but what, what my point is that having a strong link between the real economy and, and housing prices is, is really important. And we're, we're lucky to have that for all, you know, warts and all, there's negative consequences of those kinds of rules and I might tweak them a certain way. And you know, there's other problems that they may bring up, especially when combined with the lack of social housing. Um, but, but overall, we're much better off for having those than not for having those. Because if you wanna look at what could have happened just before the central bank rules were introduced, Dublin prices had got themselves into a little bit of a frenzy and they were up 25, 30% year on year and supply will fall off when that happens and demand will go through the roof and you'll end up with another kind of 2000s um, bubble situation where people expect big increases. That, that's really, I suppose, a bit of a side point around the, the importance of the central bank rules. But the core point there is that you, you have expectations in the market and you can never take away the importance of the expectations. People that you're speaking to, the experiences that they're having, um, they reflect the conditions, but they also shape the conditions uh, in the market, which is why it's really important to have as responsive a supply side as you can manage. It, that's easier said than done. Certainly in Ireland's case, we've had very unresponsive supply. And it's, it's, you know, it's, there's a bunch of factors that go into that. And we can talk about that if, if it's important. But without having responsive supply, all of these rapid changes in conditions will just translate into sudden price movements. And that's not really what you want. Yeah, so supply still is the issue rather than the pandemic. If people are buying houses right now and experiencing these problems, it's actually supply rather than COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you put yourself into a chain situation, you're not a first-time buyer, but you're, say, someone who wants to, to trade up or trade down, why would you put your home up on the market if you can't find one to move into? And of course, you didn't, by not putting your home up, you're also contributing to the problem. So, so this kind of feeds in on itself. So we need lots of homes built. And I, I, I say this kind of, um, I've been saying this for a long time now, and it's still true. Um, but we also need more homes traded. And that might sound like, well, of course, he'd say that doesn't he do the daft reports. And it's not really about that. It's, it's, it's when you get swings in the 
the number of transactions, you get swings in prices as well. And you, you potentially get people caught out um, that they buy at the wrong point uh, um, in, in, in the wave, and then they end up regretting it six or 12 or 18 months later. And you want to minimize those kinds of short-term fluctuations in the same way you want to minimize the long-term increase in, in prices that clearly we have failed to minimize over the last 10 to 30 years. Is there a silver bullet if you get supply issues sorted, house prices will go down? Yeah, I uh, I, I have fun on Twitter with this one. Uh, people, not everyone, but certainly some people are convinced that that housing doesn't work like other markets and that if you increase supply, nothing will happen prices. And, and, and the thing they point to more than anything else is during the mid 2000s, Ireland was building lots of homes and prices were going up. And that's that's kind of their, you know, so, so their argument. But but of course, supply is not the only factor that determines prices. And, and uh, as part of my doctorate, I, I looked at the bubble and crash and tried to figure out because I, I actually went in with this belief. I was like, something else is going on there. Supply is not doing the job it should. But if you think of, I say, three main things that drive prices, um, there's probably a couple more. But if, if you take people's incomes, the supply of homes and then credit conditions as three of the main factors. Ordinarily, if you can freeze credit conditions, and that's what the central bank rules do, it's just a race between people's incomes in aggregate and, and housing supply in aggregate. Right? And if you if incomes go up uh, 20%, then you want supply to go up 20% to, you know, to, to make sure that prices don't go up. That's kind of your, your basic race of your fundamentals in the housing market. And that's kind of what happened in the in the early 2000s, is that income went up quite a lot, supply went up quite a lot, and they basically offset each other. But credit conditions relaxed extraordinarily, and, and that drowned out anything else. And that's what pushed up prices um, by you know, a factor of four in the space of, of 10 years, more than anything else, um, credit conditions. So it, it, if you look at the impact of, of supply, new supply that was built in the Celtic Tiger period, you can see it, but principally you can see it after credit conditions normalize. And you can still see it, in the price of certain kinds of homes, say in the Northwest, if you look at the price of homes now compared to what they were 20 years ago, uh, the price of homes in certain parts of Ireland is below what it was. And that's because of all the additional supply that was built. The reason it didn't uh, have effect at the time was because there was, there was an extraordinary um, credit bubble happening. We don't have that this time around. We don't have um, a credit bubble. So there's no there's, there's, there's nothing other than supply that can act as a silver bullet. The problem with supply is that it takes a long time to ramp up your capabilities to build supply. And the last time we ramped it up, we ramped up supply using tax breaks. And the tax breaks would have been perhaps okay, perhaps, if they had targeted the right kinds of homes in areas with long-term demand, but they became a political tool um, to get homes built in areas where there wasn't really any long-term demand. So they ended up just worsening the, the gap between prices in the biggest cities and prices in the most rural areas of the country. Um, but to go back to your question, what is the solution here? It's a silver bullet. I'm going to mix and, and, and mangle all kinds of metaphors today. It's a silver bullet that can only travel slowly, right? It's not going to work in one year or two years. To solve Ireland's housing crisis, we're talking about a 10 to 20 year project. And it's not just the market, it's about social housing as well and linking up market and social housing so that you're covered by, if you're not covered by one, you're covered by the other. Rather than having this system where the market might cater for the top 30%, social housing might cater for the bottom 10%, and then you're wondering about the middle 60%. Who's going to provide housing for those? 
If the pandemic has pushed up prices even slightly or in some areas because of, like you said, pent up saving that people are willing to, to spend on houses or spend more on houses, will that aspect of it go back to normal when we're out of lockdown and, and getting back to whatever the, the new normal looks like? Yeah, I mean, this is the, probably the, the the one silver lining. We were on silver bullets a few minutes ago, never on silver linings. The the one silver lining of this is that we can we can look at what happened in the rental sector in Dublin during COVID, and learn something from that that may be relevant over the next eighteen months. In in the rental sector in Dublin, there was an initial shock of supply in the other direction. Lots of short term lets came into the long term rental market, and in doing that, there was only about maybe fifteen hundred of them. Um, which is small compared to in a rental market that's whatever, you know, it's like 150,000 um, households are renting in, in the Dublin area. Um, so it's, it's, it's a small increase in supply, but in a market that was so starved of, of rental homes, it had a big impact, especially when combined with the lack of mobility um, during 2020 and into 2021 because of, of COVID. And, and it's, it's not that there's an Airbnb equivalent in, in the sales market, there isn't. But what the Airbnb shock did was it created what economists call liquidity. When those properties came into the market, they allowed people to move around Dublin. Somebody who had been somewhere else moved into those. And then, of course, where they were was opened up and that allowed someone else to move. And you get this kind of circular flow. The, the, those 1,500 properties that came in ended up having you know, an effect twice or three times that size because of the, the fact that those properties freed up other properties, which freed up other properties. And, and the same thing could happen in the sales market. Once we go back to something like normal conditions, then we will have perhaps delayed home sales. The people who were hoping to sell um, over the last while, um, but um, either can't because they can't find somebody to move into or won't because they think they'll do better in, in 12 or 18 months that they will come onto the market and that will help in turn create its own liquidity. And it won't bring prices down to affordable levels, but it will perhaps reduce some of this spike in, in housing prices that we've seen, like a 15% or 17% increase in prices in, you know, in Leash or Offaly over the last 12 months seems perhaps out of line with the fundamentals. Yes, there may be some people changing the preferences, um, but you would expect that, that things will ease a little bit once we go back to something like normal levels of secondhand supply. Some economists like David McWilliams have advised people to just not touch the housing market right now, not to not to go near it, not to even think about buying anything. What do you think of that? Or would you have any specific advice for people who are, say, first-time, wannabe first-time buyers? Yeah, I mean, my advice in this, and I try and keep it relatively constant regardless of what the market is doing, is that a housing market, like a labor, in a labor market, you've got a match between a person and a job. And every job is slightly different and every person is slightly different. Once you move away from uh, identical workers and identical jobs, it doesn't really matter who's in which, then the matching process becomes really important. And the same is true in, in housing as well. Every home is different, even if it's just down to location, but it's lo always location plus. There's other stuff that make the property unique. And every household is different. And for me, the housing market is about finding your match. If you are looking at the moment in the market and you find something that suits your needs, and it's something that will suit your needs into the medium term, 10 plus years, 
then I don't see any reason that you should hold off in the expectation things will be better in 12 or 18 months' time. I think that's, that can't, that's potentially dangerous advice. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend who, who came to me about six months ago, and yeah, I've, I've known this person, you know, it's got to 10 years. And uh, they were like, look, we've just found a home, but is it a really bad idea because of COVID? Like, what's going to happen in, in, in 12 months or 18 months? And I'm like, look, you're, you're buying a home to live in for 10, 20 years. Timing the bottom of the market, you know, you'll never get that right. Um, and that's not the point when you're buying your own home. I said, I've known you 10 years, and this is the first time you've ever come to me about a home. Is this like the home for you? And she's like, yeah, it, it is. Like, this is the one, this is our dream home. And if we can get it, we'll be chuffed. And I said, well, you're not going to look back in 20 years and go, I really wish I'd waited 18 months. Not least, because if you wait 18 months, that particular home wouldn't be on the market anymore. And you'd be trying to find something else and that matched your needs. So advice to prospective first-time buyers is, regardless of the conditions, try and find something that suits your needs. And when you're bidding, be sure to know what your maximum bid is before you start the bidding process, right? So know uh, some of this will be determined by you know how much the bank is willing to lend you, but but know for any particular property how much you're you're willing to go on because the the other frenzy that happens is once you're in the the bidding process, you know you get carried away. And, oh, I know I said I was only going to bid two hundred and sixty eight thousand, but you know what? I'm going to bid two hundred and ninety thousand. I'm going to go all out, take the maximum mortgage I can. Don't do that because that's where you could end up with with regrets. You want the home that matches your needs and you want a price that you could, that's sustainable for you, that the mortgage is not going to keep you awake at night. I think that's, that's pretty good advice not to over leverage yourself. Roland, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today on The Explainer. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Roland for joining us today. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you want to support the podcast, there's a few things you can do head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber but you could also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts it's a really 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 good way to make sure other people will listen and love it too thank you and catch you next time